Welcome to the SMB Community Podcast with your hosts, Amy Babinchak, James Kernan, and Carl Polichuk. Produced by and for the Small Biz Thoughts community. We're dedicated to making every IT professional a successful IT professional. This is Carl. Welcome to another SMB Community Podcast. I'm joined today once again by my good friend, Mike Semmel from Semmel Consulting. And uh, welcome, sir. How are things going for you? Things are going great, Carl. Uh, I've qualified for the vaccine, so I've had my first shot and I'll get my second shot next week. And hopefully there's going to be some light at the end of the tunnel that says we can go back to normal or whatever the new normal will be after COVID. Yeah, well, I think by the time this comes out, you will have had your second shot. <laughs> so, so right now you're in Vegas, but you might be going back to New York, right? Go back to the snow. Yeah, it's possible. I, I was in the snow hiding out from COVID and then I came back to Vegas because I qualified. I'm a Nevada resident, so I qualified for the vaccine and came out here. Uh, actually, my next trip's to Florida because I'd rather not be in the snow. Right. The <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, so so for those of you who are new to Mike, Mike Semmel does a lot of uh, consulting around cybersecurity, around HIPAA, around compliance, uh, and you know all of the things related to that. And for the most part, I'd say operates at a level above what most MSPs do in the terms of uh, the size of organizations he works with and the complexity of uh, systems. But that just means that he has so much more knowledge to help us out. So uh, why don't you give your introduction to kind of what you do for a living? Well, I'm a consultant now, but I was an MSP. And I, I like to tell people I'm irrationally passionate about helping MSPs succeed because so many helped me on my journey. So to, to you know, follow up on what Carl said, I have become an expert, a consultant in compliance, but that was based on my work in compliance when I was an MSP. So I understand what MSPs need. I understand what MSPs do. And one of the things we do is have, uh, we've got training systems so that MSPs can be seen as compliance authorities in hours, not years. So if you get an opportunity next week, you can go through one of our systems, learn the language that the client's going to speak, go in and show them that you know as much about their business as you do about yours. And that's what clients really care about. One of my problems when I was an MSP is that a lot of the marketing tools and the, the standard approach was to talk about our services. But what I figured out early on was that if I talked about the client's needs, and got really specific. You have this compliance requirement. If you're a law firm uh, that has 20 uh, lawyers billing at $400 an hour, that's $8,000 an hour, $64,000 worth of potential downtime a day. And now when we talk to law firms, we're talking about you have to file your court documents online. What if you get hit by ransomware at two o'clock in the afternoon and you miss a court filing deadline at five for your biggest client? What could that cost you? That shows the client that we understand their business. They don't care so much that we understand our business because they expect that. Yeah, so one of the things that's really interesting, I would say probably the biggest change from my perspective in the last 12 months is A, the legislators have figured out who we are. B, the insurance companies have figured out that uh, we, may, we may or may not have deep pockets, but we allow them to 
make a bunch more money. And C, I think there's been some standardization of compliance, probably around CMMC and NIST. Uh, did I miss any of the, <laughs> you, the major sure. highlights? <laughs> you, you missed one, Carl, because when we talk about compliance, everybody wants to talk about things like HIPAA and NIST and, and so forth. But one of the things we talk about are lawyers, that lawyers are looking at MSPs as targets. Lawyers are looking at healthcare organizations as targets after breaches. And what we've shown our clients and shown MSPs through our training is that some of the first enforcements after incidents are lawsuits. You don't think of them as enforcements because it's not a regulatory body like the government right. coming in, but the first response to an incident is like a class action lawsuit. So one of the things that I want to paint in people's minds is picture yourself on the stand with the opponent's lawyer asking you hard questions, not some regulator asking for documentation. That is part of the discussion. But I want people to, you know, we've all seen the TV shows, you know, LA Law and all these other shows that, that's dating me. But there are more recent shows. Think of yourself on the stand in a lawsuit. What would you say if you were asked this question and asked to provide this evidence by your opponent's lawyer? And there are millions of dollars on the line. Think about lawsuits. Right. So one of the things that's happened is that uh, in, in your book, uh, HIPAA Headaches, one of the things you talked about was that, that basically HIPAA compliance isn't spelled out in the law. It's determined in large part by how judges decide cases, how juries decide cases. Um, I, did, did that get a little better in the last six months? No, in fact, people thought, even people in the healthcare industry kind of thought, well, HIPAA is not being enforced during COVID. Well, when COVID hit, there were a bunch of changes that had to be made to some of the HIPAA rules and things like that. So the enforcement agency did shift gears. But in 2020, a one doctor medical practice got fined $100,000 for a HIPAA violation. So there were a lot of messages in that. And this happened like days before the whole, everything exploded with COVID. But the first message is you can't be too small to be caught because there's nothing smaller in healthcare than a one doctor medical practice. But right. then there was kind of a moratorium on enforcements that were announced until July. And then they started announcing them. And then uh, in September, in one week, September 21st, 23rd, and 25th, like a Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, they announced three big penalties. So it was kind of pent up, but HIPAA was still being enforced. And to your point, what I put in the book, and this isn't just around HIPAA, this has to do with other types of regulations too, where you can read the regulations and not really know what they mean. And I can tell you for sure, when HIPAA came out in the early 2000s, and we would call the government and say, can we get some guidance on this? If we do this to secure the data, will that comply with the HIPAA security rule? Even the government people were saying, we're not sure. Right. Because they had never enforced it. So it, it's kind of like just the regular law. And I start out the book, if you remember, asking if you really know what the vehicle and traffic law says about speeding, or is it better to get caught on Route 327 with 72 miles an hour and having to pay a $180 fine. And then I, I think I put the comment in, don't ask me how I know that. <laughs> but what I'm getting at is you don't need to know the vehicle and traffic laws, or you could read them all day and not really know what it means. 
but when you look at enforcements, then you do know. So enforcements, and this is where, again, you don't need to be an expert in these things, but you need to understand some things, have a few stories to tell. If you're going out you know, to a small doc, one doctor practice and you're an MSP and you wanna talk all about your services and the doctors don't really wanna hear about HIPAA because they think HIPAA is annoying, and a lot of times I've had MSPs tell me, and I was told this too when I was an MSP, well, we're too small, we're never going to get caught. Oh, wouldn't I've heard that so many times. Yeah, wouldn't it be nice to be able to say, well, that's what Dr. Stephen Porter thought before he got his $100,000 fine. So and, uh, uh, kind of a side note, but uh, do doctors have insurance that for HIPAA compliance uh, errors? Well, first of all, we all know about malpractice insurance and HIPAA actually can be tied to malpractice. You can be sued for malpractice if there's a HIPAA violation. The real question becomes negligence and a complete disregard. So, you know, malpractice is a surgeon, you know, who, who makes a mistake, like operates on the wrong arm or, you know, leaves, you know, a sponge or something in a patient or does something that's really wrong. But that it's still a surgeon who went to school and, you know, has learned all the rules and has followed them and maybe made a mistake, but there's another complete disregard. So one of the penalties this year, in fact, I think it was that first hundred thousand dollar penalty was basically a complete disregard for HIPAA and a lack of implementing anything, just ignoring it. Like it wasn't a real problem. So doctors have insurance, but the problem with insurance, and this goes across all kinds of insurance, cyber liability insurance, even as an MSP, errors and omissions insurance, it's not 100% guarantee that your insurance is going to cover you. Because if you didn't do certain things, so when it comes to cyber insurance, for example, which would uh, help with a HIPAA penalty if there was a breach, remember that when you buy an insurance policy, we've all done this, we filled out a questionnaire. And on a cyber insurance policy, it says, do you encrypt all your data, all your data? Number two, do you have, uh, we had someone recently, a commercially available firewall. Do you have intrusion prevention? The, there are not that many insurance companies. They all ask a lot of the basic questions. Are, are all of your systems current, you know, patched fully and things like this. So there was a case in California, not far from where you are, in fact, where a healthcare organization had an incident. The first reaction was a lawsuit. Remember, there's a message in that. And they got sued by patients. They had accidentally published patient information to the internet. They got sued and they called their insurance company. They had bought a $10 million policy. It's Cottage Health. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Mm -mm. They're in the Santa Barbara area. So Cottage Health gets sued. They call their insurance company Columbia Casualty. Columbia Casualty went out and hired attorneys, negotiated a $4 million settlement with the patients, called their client, who was the, their customer, Cottage Health, and said, hey, we just settled the lawsuits, $4 million, and we're paying it, but we're, quote unquote, we're still investigating this. So they weren't done. They went back to the original application that Cottage Health filled out when they bought the insurance policy and they came back and sued Cottage Health to get the $4 million back saying, hey, when you filled out your policy, you said you did all these things to secure your data, but our investigation showed you didn't. And we don't care if you were mistaken or flat out lying to us, that information was not accurate and 
we took right. they took the four million back. Remember, it was a ten million dollar policy. Then the state of California fined them two million. Then the federal government fined them three million. They paid nine million out of pocket when they had a ten million dollar policy. Wow. So, is life a little easier in in I think there's a recent uh, rule or maybe a law that. Um, NIST can be used to demonstrate good faith in trying to be HIPAA compliant? Yes, you're right. There's what they call a safe harbor law. It's a federal law that was signed into law in the first week in January of 2021. Still has to go through a rulemaking process, which basically turns it into a rule that can be enforced. But the law is pretty simple. And it's only 600 words. I mean, laws can be, you know, like a thousand pages, in fact. This is only 600 words. And it says this, if a healthcare covered entity or business associate, these are the two terms for who's covered by HIPAA, can demonstrate, really think about that word demonstrate, that they have implemented the NIST cybersecurity framework for the previous 12 months. So this will be a rolling 12-month window that if they have an incident and they're investigated and they can prove that they've implemented the NIST cybersecurity framework, or if they have an audit, if they're randomly selected for an audit and they can prove it, if they're being investigated, then the investigators have to take into consideration that they've implemented the NIST cybersecurity framework and either eliminate or reduce the fines and penalties if they're being audited and they can prove that, then the audit has to be immediately terminated. So this is a huge incentive for healthcare organizations to implement better cybersecurity. And why did they do it this way? Because the HIPAA security rule that protects data was written almost 20 years ago. So right. it's not very specific. And of course, we didn't have the threats back then that we have now. Now, with this new safe harbor law, the term safe harbor means if you do it, you're going to get some protection. Implementing the NIST CSF will give healthcare covered entities and business associates almost a pass. On nice. Well, it's also something that we can take to doctors and say, look, <laughs> you know, you can be as liable as you want. You can hang your stuff out in the wind if you want, but... I need to make sure that what we do as a business associate is within the limits of HIPAA and then, you know, inside the law. And one way that we do that is the NIST cybersecurity framework. And so uh, that, but that requires training, right? Like you can't just say, oh, you know, I, I, I encrypt everything and, you know, the hard drive's encrypted. I've heard so many people say this. If your hard drive's encrypted, you're good to go on, on HIPAA. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> Right. But that brings up another discussion, Carl, which is that MSPs, and remember I was one, offer technical services. So when we encrypt things and all that, that's not a compliance service. That's an encryption service. That means you turned encryption on a compliance service, which you can add, profitably add to your managed services, is when you can say to the client, not only are we going to, remember that rolling 12-month period, not only are we going to implement the NIST cybersecurity framework, in your organization, we're gonna give you monthly reports that show that everything's still in place. So, you know, it's a list of all your computers showing that encryption's turned on. It's a list of all your users showing that uh, former employees don't have access to the network. These are all requirements in the NIST cybersecurity framework, but remember that that safe harbor law 
is going to be enforced by regulators who are lawyers and what do lawyers want to see? Paper or electronic documents. So it's the add-on service, not just to implement it, but to be able to prove that you're using, that, that you've got the documentation that'll stand up under scrutiny. Right now, so um, NIST has a publicly available framework. Um, do you think, and, and, and you, don't, you don't have to pay for training in the sense that you could go download it, any MSP could download it and create a training for their employees, um, but is it straightforward enough that they would get it right if they did that? No, it isn't. And the reason for it, again, I was an MSP and I know what my engineers were always overthinking when it came to requirements, but also I implemented the NIST cybersecurity framework in my MSP business back around 2013. We had already gotten CompTIA's security trust mark, which was a CompTIA uh, accreditation for businesses based on internal cybersecurity practices. It's not an individual certification like A plus or security plus. It was at the business level. And then I was on the team that helped develop that for CompTIA. I was also on the team that helped convert it after the NIST cybersecurity framework came out. <clears throat> Sorry. So what happened was that we had implemented it in our own company and it was a lot different than what everybody thought it was. People were overthinking it. I ended up uh, starting a coaching program and I still do this to help MSPs earn the trust mark, which basically says you need to implement the NIST CSF in your business. So that's where I'm coming from when I tell you that MSPs have really not been able to figure this out. They get stuck. They get down in the weeds when they don't need to be. Uh, they don't understand the value of documentation. Again, it's not what you do. It's how you document it and can prove it to an auditor or an assessor. And now in today's world, that NIST CSF is even more important now in healthcare. But if you're dealing with defense contractors, doing the NIST cybersecurity framework by itself isn't going to help a defense contractor because they have to comply with another NIST requirement. But the NIST cybersecurity framework has 98 security controls in it. The NIST 800-171 for defense contractors has 110. So the bottom line, and keep in mind, these came from the same organization. So the bottom line is that if you start with a NIST CSF, that was designed for smaller businesses to make it affordable and achievable. You're well on your way to helping businesses with other compliance requirements. So, right. so uh, quick question, uh, for the longest time, like literally for the last, I'd say 10 years easily, a lot of people have decided to simply not take on healthcare clients because they don't want to screw with all the hassles of HIPAA. Is it easier today? I mean, would you still say that people who are not willing to go get that training should stay out? Or, um, you know, what, what, how would you recommend to people who are thinking about HIPAA? Stay in or get out? Well, first of all, I never thought it made any sense to say I'm not going to do something because of, of liability. It's not just learning the, the information. People have told me, well, I'm going to increase my liability. That's completely wrong. And the reason it's wrong is that you manage your liability through your contracts. So it doesn't matter whether you're working for a healthcare organization or you know, an ice cream shop or a car dealer or somebody else, 
because your liability is in your contract. When we worked with clients, our contract said, you know, we were liable for like the last two months that you paid us, okay, which never would have put us out of business. So there really isn't more liability when you can cover that in a contract. There are some more things you may have to do dealing with a regulated client because there are flow down requirements to their vendors. What does that mean? It means that if you are, uh, if you're working with healthcare, then you have to implement the requirements of the HIPAA security rule. Well, go read that rule and you realize you have to do that anyway, because you've got the keys to the kingdom. If you're an MSP, you're a domain admin on all your client networks. Why wouldn't you secure your own remote monitoring and management tool, your own PSA tool, any documentation tool you're using? Why wouldn't you make your employees use multi-factor authentication, which by the way, isn't even a requirement of the NIST cybersecurity framework or HIPAA, but you need to do that as an MSP. First of all, it's goodwill to make sure your clients are protected, but also everybody knows MSPs have been targeted by hackers to get to their clients. And a lot of the tools that we use now require multi-factor authentication. So there's nothing extra or unreasonable. All you need to do is learn the language of the client's requirements and show how you deliver those services. So in the, in the big picture between CMMC, which we haven't really talked about a lot, and NIST, uh, is there a choice to be made or is it just a matter of you pick one and, uh, and, and you ride that horse and <laughs> see, see how much money you can make? Well, no, I don't, I don't. First of all, I don't think you pick one. And here's why. If you look at compliance, I was just on a call with, with, another MS, with an MSP this morning and, and we were talking about this. Compliance is anything somebody else makes you do. Compliance is not HIPAA. It's not CMMC or one of the NIST requirements. Compliance is anything that somebody else makes you do. So you're in California and let's say you were Dr. Carl, however that may scare you. You're Dr. <laughs> Carl, okay? And, and you have a typical medical office. Number one, I know by talking to you, you have, and, and understanding what you do, you have to comply with HIPAA and you're in California. So California has the California Confidentiality of Medical Information Act, CMIA. I know that because you're a doctor in California. What do I ask you? Dr. Carl, do you take credit cards? Yes, okay, now we've got PCI to discuss. Dr. Carl, do you have a cyber insurance policy? Yes, okay. So now, Dr. Carl, here's what you need. You need a cybersecurity program that secures all your data and we have to make sure it aligns with HIPAA, State of California, PCI, and whatever questions you answered on your cyber insurance policy. Remember that last one? I don't even know until I saw, until I see your policy application. But that's what your problem is. If I just helped you with HIPAA and, and being in California, here's the perfect answer. If I just helped you with HIPAA, HIPAA says that patients have to be notified after a data breach within 60 days. California state law says 15 days, one five which means that if I just did HIPAA for you and had an incident response plan and everything based on HIPAA, you could be 45 days late at a thousand dollar a day penalty with the state of California's regulations. You know, it's interesting because 
being in the state of California. <laughs> uh, one of the first things I noted is like, there are some limits, like doesn't apply to the smallest businesses, right? So you say, oh, well, you know, I'm not 25 million, so I'm good to go. But you might have clients who are 25 million. Oh, oh Carl, hold on, hold on. What you said though, only applies to CCPA and the new replacements for it. I think it's CPHR which are the California privacy laws. Every business in California has to comply with the California data breach law, regardless of size. And every medical facility in California, regardless of size has to comply with the CMIA, the uh, so, Confidentiality of Medical Information Act. So these laws are spreading across all of North America, U US, Canada, Mexico. So wherever people are doing business, how do they find out what their laws are? Because, I mean, if you go to the state of whatever and you, <laughs> and you type in security, you're not going to find useful information. Well, if, first of all, it, it's the world. Okay, so it, it's Europe, it's Asia, it's Australia, South Africa. There are a lot of laws that protect data, but there are two kinds. And this sometimes gets lost in the translation. There are privacy laws, and then there are data protection laws. Sometimes they're combined. But a lot of the laws that we talk about, CCPA in California, GDPR in Europe, which also could affect U.S. companies that market to Europe, give people the right to privacy and the right to know how their data is being used and to prevent it from being sold or shared, and in some cases have it completely removed from the system. That's a privacy law. MSPs can't do much to help with that because that's tied to the software and the internal processes at the client. But some laws are data breach prevention laws and reporting laws and cybersecurity laws. So the New York Shield Act basically took the NIST cybersecurity framework and turned it into a state law. And here's what they said. Don't think, well, I'm not in New York, so it doesn't apply to me. They said, if anybody has information about New Yorkers, personally identifiable information like social security numbers, uh, driver's license numbers and things like that, you must comply with this regulation even if you're outside New York. Right. That requires a cybersecurity program. So to what extent do cloud services make my life easier in the sense that, for example, uh, I use constant contact. So, you know, they know I have people with Canadian addresses. They have different email requirements. They do what's required to make sure I'm compliant in Canada. So I don't really have to spend a lot of energy other than not trying to get around their system. You see what I mean? Like I, I do. So, so that's cloud-based HIPAA and other compliance systems make my life easier? Not at all. In fact, some of the companies that sell you know, HIPAA in a box actually can create more problems than they can solve. Remember what I said about California and the notification requirement. If you bought a HIPAA in a box solution or an online portal that said, you know, here's what the HIPAA requirements are and, and you went through that and thought you were compliant with HIPAA and you made the mistake in California of waiting until 60 days to notify somebody you're in violation of California law. But some of these organizations have, have taken things like the risk analysis and turned them into questionnaires. Well, I can ask you all day, Carl, how do you feel? And you can tell me I feel good, but it's not the same as going to a healthcare system 
uh, getting a blood test, getting a urine test, getting uh, scanning, you know, some sort of imaging done where your doctor is going to call you in and say, hey, Carl, you know, here's your blood count on, on this type of thing, your cholesterol or whatever. You got a problem here. You didn't feel it. Uh, or also, as a friend of mine found out, you know, there's a spot on your liver, okay, that turned out to be cancerous. And he didn't feel sick yet. So right. this is where you can't just answer a questionnaire. Some of these companies ask you to uh, or offer you this seal of compliance to put in your marketing and on your website. And I've seen this in MSP signatures. In December of 2020, a company settled with the Federal Trade Commission for a consumer fraud claim. And they, they agreed. They were penalized. They're put on a 20-year compliance program through the Federal Trade Commission for using a HIPAA seal of compliance. There is no thing. There's no such thing. The government doesn't certify it. And because this company had a breach and they had this HIPAA compliance logo, the seal of compliance on their website, they got caught in consumer fraud because through the investigation of the breach, it found they weren't 100% compliant. Well, compliance is like cybersecurity. Compliance is like your personal health. It's a journey. It's not a destination. Right. <laughs> okay, the fact you were healthy yesterday doesn't mean you're healthy today. And certainly in the COVID environment, we see these numbers every well, day. And we should know that. I mean, uh, my machine is 100% completely perfectly patched. Right? Right. That's good for about 60 seconds. <laughs> well, it, it could be. And here's the point. It's not that it's patched because patching, yeah. But is it secure? No, because even if you installed the latest patch an hour ago, there are vulnerabilities, A, that haven't been discovered yet and new ones that have been identified that'll be in the next patch. Right. Remember, that's so, the Sadly, we're almost out of time, so I wanna make sure that we give folks a way to get in touch with you. What's the best way for people to find out about what you do? And uh, I don't know if you have a, you know, wanna put people on your mailing list or what the deal is. Sure, but let's go back. I wanna empower MSPs to do a lot of these things themselves and stop being fearful to your point about working with these regulated industries and with, with different compliance requirements they don't fully understand. That's just basic training. So I've got a consulting company, Semel Consulting, S-E-M-E-L Consulting and our website, semelconsulting.com and you can learn more about what we do. But I also have Semel Systems and SEML systems are training systems for MSP. System stands for saves you stress, time, effort, and money. S-Y-S-T-E-M. And it does that. It's got video training for you and your entire staff if you're an MSP. It's got templates and policy templates and spreadsheets and all these tools you can use to build out your services. So for the NIST cybersecurity framework, there's a spreadsheet that has all 98 controls and asks you as an MSP to fill in what services you offer for each one. And if you're missing one, that means there's a service you need to add. It's pretty simple. And this is all to empower you. So semelsystems.com slash 2021 will get you all that information. S-E-M-E-L systems with an S dot com slash 2021. We'll get you all the information you need. I want Very to make good. you successful. And uh, we'll put links to that down in the description for the show. So thank you, Mike, once again for being with us. And, you know, we'll keep having you back because this is literally a world that changes all the time. And I love talking to you, Carl, and, and I love meeting people in your audience. 
Thank you for tuning in to the SMB Community Podcast. If you found this useful, interesting, or fun, please subscribe, share with your friends, and give us a thumbs up on your favorite social media. Please check out the show notes at smbcommunitypodcast.com and give us your feedback.